Well, thank you, Amy and Karen. Hello, everyone. Welcome uh, again. Many of our Bethany locations are together again today on, on this stream, though we're excited that Bethany Eastside is worshiping together over Zoom uh, today, and Bethany Ballard is continuing uh, their own live stream again this week. If you're a part of those communities and you missed that word, just encourage you uh, to reach out to your location staff or, or check their socials. Uh, we look forward to each of our locations moving to individual worship live streams in the coming weeks. But it's been such a joy uh, for us to be all together for a season and certainly our fellowship and the work of the church uh, continues. Wherever you are, I'm so glad you're here uh, with us today as we continue our series, The New Shape of Things. Now, the last time I preached to you all, it was Ash Wednesday, and, and after what felt like the longest January in history, we were preparing to, to give some things up in order that we might fully experience uh, Jesus' provision in our lives on this journey toward Easter. And boy, if, if we knew now, if we knew then what we know now, the new shape of things. Now, by way of reminder to, to bring any of you joining us for the first time up to speed, this series is about what we can learn from the early church uh, in the book of Acts as they adapted to seismic shifts culturally, physically, economically, and spiritually. And because that's very much the season that we are in together now. And for followers of Jesus, we want to be in lockstep with him. And part of how we do that is through the scriptures. So today we're in Acts chapter three, but I want to take a few minutes setting up this miracle and placing it in its larger context so that we might faithfully apply it to our life together. Now today is Pentecost Sunday. This is celebrated 50 days from Easter. And we remember the story in Acts 2, where the Holy Spirit promised by Jesus descended upon the disciples and the believers there. And all those gathered from the far reaches of the ancient world for a Jewish festival miraculously heard the mighty deeds of God in their own languages. And the church was born. And it's vital to remind ourselves here that not only was the church born on Pentecost, but the church was born as a people. Like they didn't file for 501c3 status and, and, and buy some property and, and design a, a mission statement and purchase a URL to begin a web presence. Rather, the church was born as a community of believers. And this was the fulfillment of prophecies in the Old Testament, that God's presence, his spirit would come and take up residence in his people, the new temple. The dwelling place of God was now within the people of God. And the temple that, that Peter and John are heading to in the beginning of our story was a physical place with, with a street address, so to speak. And this is where people would go for worship, for community, for provision, for, for healing, to encounter God's generosity and presence. But the new temple where the spirit of God resides was now Jesus' new covenant family, a, a people on the move sent out to witness and to heal and to bless in Jesus name. And, and this sending out had an order to it as we read in Acts 1 several weeks ago, first in Jerusalem, then Judea, then to the ends of the earth. 
Now, it might have been more exciting to set sail for the far reaches and the far corners of the earth. Like foreign mission trips are often more exciting than in our own neighborhood. But that's a different sermon for a different day. Instead, the church's witness began in Jerusalem, a stone's throw from their baptism by fire. God was on the move through this new covenant community, but it wasn't all smooth sailing. In in fact, the early church experienced waves of persecution and adversity right out of the gate, as we'll see today and, and in the coming weeks. Now, what Luke, the writer of Acts, is setting up for us early in the book of Acts is a tale of two temples. And what he's showing us is that the new temple of Jesus community is fulfilling the purpose that God always intended for the Jerusalem temple to be a place where heaven and earth meet, where people encounter God's generosity and healing presence. And this is still our mission today. More important than where we meet and how we meet is who we are together. And this is the point of our teaching today. That Acts 3 shows us that the people of God are to be a people of looking, telling, and turning. And what we see here and become are the very generosity and healing presence of Jesus. So we're going to briefly focus on these three parts of the story. You can find uh, the outline in the chat or in the email that was sent out uh, late in the week. But we want to be about looking to see, telling to hear, and turning to become. So as we begin here, let's read verses one through six uh, together. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg uh, from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, uh, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Now there's a real focus on the eyes in these verses. Did you catch it? Luke is careful to, to narrate them uh, what the eyes are doing. It's four times in that first six verses. The first, he saw Peter and John. Then Peter looked straight at him. Peter said, look at us. And then the man gave them his attention. And this story highlights for me that there's a difference between looking and seeing. Did you know that the average person is exposed to somewhere between 4,000 and 10,000 advertisements a day? I wonder how many you remember. Take yesterday, for example. Or more importantly, did you buy anything yesterday that you hadn't planned on when the day began? Maybe you were scrolling Facebook or Instagram and discovered that one thing you really need and made a purchase. Yeah, we're looking all the time but we're not always seeing. And here's how the story goes with with only looking. This is my rewrite. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money and Peter briefly pauses, touches his pockets while looking at John to confirm that they are in the same boat and says, I don't have any cash, only only card. One of these days, somebody's going to pull out a card reader and call our bluff. 
But Peter and John didn't just look at the man. They saw the man. Do you see the difference? It made all the difference. They were interruptible. They were available. Their hearts were open. And this common experience for this man, this man was lamb from birth. Acts 4 tells us that he was over 40 years old and came here every day. This simple transaction of begging for money turned into a life-changing miracle. But Peter and John didn't just see this man. God saw this man. The gaze of the king of heaven was on this man through Peter and John. And though he had resigned himself to maintaining and sustaining his current situation by returning every day to beg for money, God had more in mind for him. Now we know from John 10 and other places in scripture that that Jesus walked this same temple court. In fact, he preached on the good shepherd there and taught that his sheep know and listen to his voice. Sheep like Peter, who in the same place matched the gaze of heaven and agreed with God to heal this man. And Peter expected opportunities like this because Jesus had prepared them. Listen to Luke 9 uh, verses one through three. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. All Peter and John had with them was their faith. Silver and gold they indeed did not have. Walter Brueggemann writes about it this way. He says, the inescapable setup willed by Jesus is an enduring mismatch between the large impossible task and the leanness of resources. It's the leanness that makes the miracles possible. Lean resources make for uncommon transformative power. Now, Brueggemann isn't saying that God is somehow limited in his work when our backpack is full. But I think Brueggemann is suggesting that when we're carrying all our stuff, we aren't able to lend a hand, particularly the hand that's needed. Look at verses seven and eight. Peter taking him by the right hand, he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Now, Peter had just said in the name of Jesus Christ, walk. Now the faith in Jesus' authority and power to heal this man wasn't the man's faith. It was Peter's. And as we'll see in verse 16, Peter doesn't even want to take credit for the faith that that too was a gift from Jesus. But the healing happens when the man borrows Peter's faith and he takes his hand. Now, maybe this man is sort of lying down and and Peter's hand up straightens him up just enough to get him in a ready to stand position. And then instantly his feet and ankles become strong. He was lame from birth. His feet and, and ankles were not equipped to even support standing, let alone walking. And Luke, the writer of Acts, is a physician And in the original Greek, he uses words for for feet and ankle bones and leaping up that aren't used anywhere else. He wants us to know that this is a true miracle. This is like when the doctor said the, the tumor was there yesterday and now it's gone and I can't explain it 
medically. This was a miracle done by Jesus through Peter. And more importantly, Luke wants us to know that this is the type of miracle that God can do through us if we're available. Now the healing story continues like this. Then he went into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. When we go beyond looking to seeing, those around us witness the power of God. Romans 10, 17 says this, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ, which leads us to the next part of our story and our second point, telling to hear. Chapter three, verses 11, 12, and 16 say, while the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running. When Peter saw them, he he said, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness, we made this man walk? By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, Peter could have gone here into a a Sunday night Baptist church testimony style service here and, and pass the mic to the man to share what had just happened to him, but he doesn't. He gives a sermon. He lays out the gospel. He does this because wonder and amazement at what happened wasn't enough. The disciples are witnesses to Jesus inviting all to put their faith in Jesus. And faith comes from hearing the message of Jesus. So he lays it out. He tells it so people can hear it. And this is instructive for us in a few different ways. The first is this. I wonder if sometimes we pass the buck on sharing the good news. Like we might say, I'm I'm gonna let my life speak. I'm gonna preach the gospel daily and if necessary, use words. I get that. Uh, But all too often in my own life, I'm not responding to the Holy Spirit's prompting to quiet my mouth. Rather, I'm responding to my own fear of the awkwardness of sharing the gospel. It's not enough for us to know it. We need to tell it. We've got to use it. Last weekend, by, by way of illustrating this point, my family, we drove to a less crowded uh, part of the state. And in this place, there was a, a sports store open. And so I had it in my mind to buy some fishing poles if we found a place that had them to go fishing. What I hadn't thought about is I don't really know how to fish. Like I get you throw it and reel it, but there's other things at play there that I didn't know how to do. So quickly I start backpedaling and I start talking to my kids about pretending to fish. And my five-year-old is like, okay, dad, here's the pole in my hand. I'll kind of fake it. My daughter, she's been fishing before. And so she knows that pretending is not fishing. And so uh, my wife kind of helps me figure it out. I'm pulling up a YouTube video. She's on the phone with her brother who knows how to fish. I now know some things because I went home and watched YouTube videos like a good millennial. Uh, But the point of this is my kids called my bluff. Buying fishing poles is not fishing. 
That we don't just carry our, our Bibles around. We don't just carry our faith inside us. We have to put it to good use. And the second way that Peter's telling of the gospel is instructive for us is this, that we need to hear the gospel. Too often we think we're beyond that, that it's basic. Give me, give me some Leviticus. Give me that vintage stuff. Let's really, let's really dig in. There's a famous story about Martin Luther from the 16th century. And he had a church that he was a pastor of. And some came to him and they said, Pastor, why is it that week in and week out, all you ever preach to us is the gospel? And implying that they're ready to move on to something else. Certainly we know this by now. And Luther's response was, well, because week after week, you forget it. Because week after week, you walk in here looking like a people who don't believe the gospel. And until you walk in looking like people who are truly liberated by the truth of the gospel, I'm going to continue to preach it to you. And until his dying day, he did. May we never outgrow the gospel message. The beauty of the gospel, by the way, is that we're all this lamb beggar and Jesus saw us and stretched out his hand to heal us. Now, finally, there's a critical piece to Peter's sermon after this miracle that leads us to our last point, turning to become. Central to the biblical narrative, to the Christian faith, is that we all have skin in the game, that choices we made put Jesus on the cross, that we are a part of the mob shouting crucify. And Peter lays it out in verses 13 to 15. He says, you handed him, Jesus, over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And then he throws him a bone and in verse 17, he says, now fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your leaders. The gospel is full of grace. Look, I, I know that you didn't know what you were doing. None, nonetheless, now you know. New information has emerged and Peter has invited them to turn, to change their mind, to repent, to go the other way says in verse 19, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. What God is saying here is that this is personal. He's saying, turn back to me. I wanna bless the world through you. This new covenant community, this new temple where heaven meets earth, but it starts with repentance. And this temple work was already happening among the early believers. They were sharing what they had in common. They were praying in homes. They were reaching out to people on the margins. This new community didn't need to just go to the temple. They were the temple. And it began with turning, with repentance. Not, not turn over a new leaf, but turn into the new creation that you already are. We are not the old self putting on the new. We are the new shedding the old the shape of things, the new shape of things is a kingdom of generosity and healing. It's not the temple at three in the afternoon or Bethany at eight, nine, 30, 11, and seven. It's the body of Christ full-time, 24-7, released 
into all places to bless. We have to turn back to God in order to become the people and the community that he intended. And we have much to turn from, don't we? I took a break uh, Tuesday morning after studying this passage and, and writing about the first half of this message. And I saw friends posting about another black life taken. And my heart, my heart sunk and I felt nervous. I didn't want to watch the video and I could have looked away, but I hit play. And I saw George Floyd's final moments, 10 minutes of, I don't even know what to call it to do it justice. But I went from confusion to disbelief, to anger, to sadness, to feeling powerless. And I just kept thinking how tired the black community must be and how scared. And some will say, as they always do, what about this? And, and what about that? Attempting to shift blame toward the victim or explain the actions of the perpetrators. But nothing justifies this type of treatment. George Floyd should have the breath of life in his lungs today. I keep thinking about the calm demeanor of the officer with his knee on Mr. Floyd's neck and how juxtaposed it was to the panic and pain and panic he felt that any of us would feel if our air were being cut off. And look, you and I won't preside over this case. Like we won't decide justice for Ahmaud Arbery or Breonna Taylor. But many of us lended our voices and that's a critically important step as well. Now church folk get uncomfortable when we zero in on one particular instant, uh, incident or, or, or social issue because we don't want it to distract us from our greater mission. We don't want it to divide. But the reality is that men and women of color, black people in particular, have had a knee to the neck for 400 years in this country. This isn't a bandwagon. It's an epidemic. Racism isn't getting worse. It's just on camera now. And the more that we see it, now that more of us see it, speaking out every time is mission critical. And oftentimes the victims and the perpetrators worship in churches across town, worship the same God. This isn't a problem out there. It's a problem in here, within our walls, within our life together. And it's a problem in here, in our own hearts. Acts 3.26 says that Jesus came to bless us by turning every one of us from our wicked ways. That many of us have the luxury of, of looking away. Our status in the world allows us to choose whether to engage or not, but many do not have this choice. And today I want to remind us that followers of Jesus don't look away. We don't distance ourselves from the sufferings of our neighbors. Rather, we suffer with, we lament and we turn and we repent. Now I won't prescribe how each of us respond today. I'm not launching a new initiative. I'm only asking that we put our hand back to the plow wherever we've taken it off. And if you haven't paid attention to the suffering of black people around you, start there. Ways to respond isn't the challenge. It's the will to do so. I know that in my own heart. 
This isn't a political issue. This is a gospel issue. This is a human issue. There is one blood flowing through humanity and Jesus has torn down every dividing wall, drawing all people to himself. And if you've made the choice to follow Jesus, then God is alive and at work in you to bless all those you come into contact with. Each of us need only be available. Our black brothers and sisters in particular need our voices and our hands and our influence so that the breath of God in them can flow out to the glory of God so that the beauty, power, and creativity of each black life would be celebrated on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. I'll close with this. It is so inspiring uh, to me that even after the the disciples were, were baptized by fire, being filled with the Holy Spirit, that their location didn't change. Remember, they'd be witnesses in Jerusalem first. We met them in this story heading to the same afternoon prayer meeting that they went to before Pentecost. And some things had changed. They didn't show up for the daily sacrifice because they now understood that Jesus died once and for all. And now they likely went to this uh, familiar prayer meeting with what Pastor Richard always calls ministry glasses, that they were looking for opportunities to, to bless and to teach and to use their gifts and to identify leaders. They were tuned in and available. Now, silver lining in this COVID season for us as followers of Jesus is that many of us can't go to a lot of places right now anyway. So I just invite us to simply ask the Lord for opportunities right around you, right where you are. We're already seeing that on the heels of this health crisis is a financial crisis leading to a hunger crisis and a growing housing crisis. And meanwhile, 400 years of racism is alive and well. But the church is to be a place where heaven and earth meet and people experience God's generosity and healing. And there's a lot of need. So we're gonna need all hands on deck, looking, telling, and turning until Jesus returns. I'm gonna invite the the band to come as we uh, prepare to respond together. We're gonna sing. And while there is much for us to lament today, I wanna call us to confidence. I wanna call us to courage, to faith in the resurrection power of Jesus to shape hearts and to change lives. There is much to fear, but Jesus said, perfect love casts out fear. So let's be people of love and courage and hope and truth-telling and hospitality in the name of Jesus. Let's pray together. Jesus, we are humbled to be your people. We thank you that we can stand with you, alive in us wherever we are. And Jesus, we lament every bit of brokenness in the world and we commit ourselves Jesus, to walking in your way together, would you humble us? Would you convict us? Would you teach us? And even in the midst of profound grief and sadness and pain, particularly in the black community, would you give us courage? Would you give us faith? And where we lack faith, would you give us your faith? Jesus, for your glory, we love you. 
Would we feel strength rise in us today as we worship? In your name.